All right, I think this is the 117th sermon I've done on Genesis 37, but this will be the last one. Um, <clears throat> and there's a few things that uh, I want to I, I want to mention. Um, and the first thing is uh, Joseph um, wandering in this field. <clears throat> He's wandering in a field, and this certain man. Uh, encounters him and he directs him to his to his brothers. Joseph is sent out by his father, and then we see him wandering in this field. <clears throat> Joseph's great grandfather Abraham he stands before Abimelech and he says this to him in Genesis twenty: "God caused me to wander from my father's house." God caused Abraham to wander from his father's house, and he is now causing Joseph to wander uh, from his father's house. Joseph's life is looking similar to his great-grandfather. It's similar to his grandfather, Isaac, as well, in that Joseph is about ready to get sacrificed. Isaac, most prominent thing in his life that's recorded for us, he was sacrificed. He was, he was figuratively killed and figuratively brought back from the dead. Joseph is about ready to enter into that. He's, his life is looking like his grandfather. It's also looking like his father, Jacob. Jacob is sent out from his father's house uh, when his brother wants to murder him. And then Joseph is sent out of his father's house to check on his brothers who want to murder him. And what does Jacob encounter when he's sent out of his father's house? Who's the first person that Jacob encounters? Nope. Anyone? At Bethel? Who does he see? Was it Rachel? Yeah, yeah. He sees God. He sees he sees the Lord. I'm, I'm, I would have to go back and see if it's the angel of the Lord, but it is certainly a vision of heaven, and I think it's the Lord that 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 appears before him, um, whether it's at the top of the uh, ziggurat or the stairway to heaven or at the bottom. He encounters the Lord. He encounters some manifestation of the Lord, um, and Joseph, I think, is it's similar. He's sent out of his father's house, and the first thing that he encounters. I think this could likely be a theophany. We don't know that, but given the story arc um, with Jacob, it could be similar, or it supplements that idea. Um, we also have a similar thing with uh, Hagar. If we look at Hagar, the story arc is similar. Um, Sarah uh, sees Ishmael laughing. Sometimes it's translated as mocking, but He's Isaacing. It's just the same word as Isaac. Isaac means he laughs. Ishmael is laughing. Uh, Rachel sa or Sarah sends. She says, "Send out Hagar and Ishmael." God confirms this. God says, "Listen to your wife." It's this reversal of Eden, a reversal of the garden. Listen to your wife. Send her away. And we read this. So Abraham arose early in the morning. He took bread. Bread is featured prominently in the Joseph story. And a skin of water. Uh, and putting it on her shoulder, uh, we'll come back to that. That's that, the word shoulder there in Hebrew is Shechem. Putting it on her Shechem, he gave it and the boy, uh, he gave it and the boy to Hagar and sent her away. Then she departed and wandered, same word, in the wilderness of Beersheba. 
So a lot of these kind of key concepts that we see in Joseph are right here in the Hagar story. Uh, gives her bread, puts water on her Shechem, and then he sends her out and she's wandering just like Joseph, just like Joseph was wandering. She's wandering in the wilderness. <clears throat> Joseph is wandering in a field. And who does Hagar encounter? The angel of the Lord. That is, that, that is, that is the, 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 these different appearances of, of God. That one is the angel of the Lord. And what does he do? He saves her. She, they run out of water. He, he appears to her. Ishmael's about ready to die. And he comes and he saves her. He, sa he opens up her eyes, which is another theme in our, in our passage here. And he brings her uh, uh, to this well. And she fills it up and she's able to save, um, she's able to save her son. And that will uh, come back around here um, at the end. Later in Genesis, uh, th speaking of the shoulder, the Shechem pattern, that's where Joseph is at right now. He's in Shechem. He's in a field by Shechem. Uh, so, so Abraham sends Hagar out with water on her Shechem. Uh, Rebecca, when the, the servant comes to get a wife uh, for Isaac, uh, Rebecca has a uh, water jar on her Shechem, on her shoulder. Uh, when the Israelites leave Egypt, they have bread on their Shechem. <laughs> on their shoulder. So the people took their dough before it was leavened with their kneading bowls bound up in the clothes on their shoulders, on their Shechem's. And what do they do? They end up wandering in the wilderness like Hagar. But they encounter God there too, right? And then earlier in Genesis, we have um, Noah's sons. Uh, when Noah uh, is in this fallen state, uh, they restore him by putting his tunic, again, uh, on their Shechem's, on their shoulders, and they walk backwards, and they restore uh, their father, and they cover his nakedness. In Joshua 4, when the Israelites are about ready to take, uh, take the land, they're crossing the Jordan, there's 12 Israelites with stones that they're carrying on their shoulders, carrying on their Shechem, as they cross before the Ark of the Covenant. So bread, wandering, water, encounters with the Lord, the, the Shechem aspect all over the place. I think we can, what does all this mean? Of course, we've already gone over, there's, there's rich typology uh, with all of, all of this, all of this pointing to Christ in various ways. But what I think that we can gather from this is that our God is, is the Lord of wanderers. Those who are wandering God provides for, God shows up and he saves, Amen. he feeds, he gives them water, he directs them, he, he is there, he sees the wanderers and he appears to them, he saves them. Uh, Tolkien, uh, I, well, it's, it's in one of the Lord of the Rings book, it's, it's kind of a famous uh, 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 phrase, not all who wander are lost. There's all kinds of different wanderings. There's bad wanderings and good wanderings, but with the people of God, uh, I think we can. I think that's a true, a true statement that Genesis is teaching, uh, teaching us here. Now, now, if we think about shoulders, what do shoulders do? Shoulders they bear burdens. Uh, shoulders are are signify they signify strength. Um, so they bear burdens. They they signify strength, and. Um, if we take that to its Christological, I guess, uh, apex, uh, Christ's shoulder, that word for shoulder can also be back. Christ 
received markings through whipping and beating on his shoulder, on his back. He was sacrificed. So the shoulder shows us, anticipates Christ's sacrifice, which, which bears our iniquity, which bears our burden. And he takes it and he puts it on himself. And so, it, so sacrifice, and then what's the other thing? Dominion. This is another Joseph uh, theme. And we have dominion with shoulders as well. What does Isaiah say? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. Right. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Joseph comes to mind. I've never thought of that in terms of Joseph, but that comes to mind now. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Right? There's the shalom aspect coming in again. Okay. Uh, another aspect is, is just as Shechem, this Shechem, they're in Dothan now, but this area is a, uh, it's a uh, type of Calvary. It's a, a typological Calvary. It's also, it's also a recasting of the fall, which is what Calvary is, right? Um, it's, it's another fall in the sense of it's sin, but then it's reverse and there's redemption there. The brothers see, uh, they see Joseph coming, and they say, look. And then they're tempted to sin. Let's kill him. So the, the, uh, this eye aspect, this looking aspect. And then when he's in the pit, they lifted their eyes, and they saw the Midianite caravan. Uh, so we have this, this theme of seeing, of looking, of lifting their eyes. And this reminds us of Eve. Eve in Genesis 3, 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, what does she do? She takes, she eats, she sins. And then we also have the brothers. I think this is uh, Reuben and Judah. Um, they're both complicit and, and, and they're, they're wrong here, but we start to see them we see the older brother, Reuben particularly, acting like a redeemed older brother. What are the, the older brothers in Genesis are all neglectful of their younger brothers. They all want to murder their younger brothers. They want to kill their younger brothers. But Reuben, he goes to bat for Joseph. It's, uh, it's unsuccessful, but he, he seeks to deliver him. He, he, he's actually kind of acting in this righteous deception of uh, deceiving the serpents in this scenario and saying, let's just put them in a pit. And then, and then Moses or Joseph tells us uh, um, he said this because he was going to go back and rescue him. So he's acting like a deliverer. He's acting like a, he's acting like a godly, righteous, almost Christ figure in, in delivering him, uh, his younger brother here. He's also, in some ways, acting in the place of God. Uh, if this is another kind of garden, he speaks a word. He says, don't touch him. Don't lay a hand on him. And then they go and then he goes away and he comes back. We don't we're not told the details, but he goes away and he comes back and he finds out that they did touch him. They did sell him. And uh, um, so it's a similar thing. God tells Adam and Eve, don't eat this. He goes away. He comes back. Why are you hiding? Right. And then and then there's there's this uh, there's this violation of the word spoken. Don't touch him. Don't eat this. And then they do it. And then if we look at Judah, Judah, he suggests killing him. 
instead, or uh, he suggests selling him, excuse me, rather than killing him. That's the first thing they want to do. Let's kill him. And he says, what profit is, that, is there in killing him? Let's make some money here. Now, we can read this all kinds of ways. It could just simply be, he's just, he, it's just straightforward. He just wants to make some money. I, I wonder, because we see Judah, um, we see Judah redeemed towards the end, and he's willing to sacrifice himself for Joseph. I wonder the, if, if Judah was paying attention during church, and he heard, oh yeah, uh, Uncle Esau wanted to kill our dad one time, and we know that God was not pleased with that. Or they know about Cain. Cain did kill his brother. There, he, he was, perhaps he was paying attention to this brotherly conflict, and he perhaps read himself rightly into the story, but then I think if this is, if this is uh, true, he's trying to um, mitigate this sin of murder with a lesser sin, or what he perceives to be a lesser sin, because it's not. He wants to man steal him. He wants to kidnap him and sell him, which is punishable by death in the law. So it is another thing that is worthy of death. It's, it's still another fault. And I think if that's the case, I think that that's a good lesson for us where we can play these mind tricks with us where it's like, well, I'm not a murderer, <laughs> but I am a man stealer. And that's not as bad, but the law of God says, no, it is. Uh, you, you deserve to die uh, just as much for doing that as you would for the other thing. Uh, Deuteronomy 24, if a man is found stealing or uh, kidnapping any of his brethren of the children of Israel and mistreats him or sells him, so that's exactly what they did here, and we've seen this, the law is, there's, there's echoes of Genesis in the law all over the place, right? Don't take yourself a rival sister. There's all these things. If he does this, then that kidnapper shall die. And you shall put away the evil from among you. The last thing here with, uh, uh, with this section. We have um, Joseph's tunic is removed from him. Uh, the, Joseph, the Joseph lamb is skinned and sacrificed. And Jacob says, surely Joseph is torn to pieces. And so in some ways we have Joseph torn to pieces, but then we see Reuben and we see Jacob tearing themselves to pieces as well. They tear their tunics. These, are, these would have been uh, valuable and expensive and hard to make in the ancient world, and they tear themselves. They tear it, and they are identifying themselves with Joseph. Uh, it's, it's a sign of mourning, but I think also we see this, I, he was torn, now I am torn. And if we take this in its sacrificial Christological sense, that's exactly what happens in baptism. That's what happens every day when we pick up our cross. That's what happens when we are in Christ. He was crucified so that we may be crucified. The, uh, it's true when people say he died so that we may live. Um, I think Pastor Wilson has said uh, rightly, he died so that we may die. And that is true. That happens. We, we, are, we are torn uh, with the sacrifice as well. Okay. Um, and then this is the last thing. There's three groups here in the caravans, and people get bogged down on, okay, 
was this a different caravan that came and all that? I don't think any of that matters. We have Ishmaelites, we have Midianites, and we have Medanites, which some translations give as Midianites, but um, it's Medan. It's, uh, uh, the, these, these tribes, these are all the disinherited sons of Abraham. Ishmael comes from the disinherited son of Hagar, who was an Egyptian. And then Midian and Medan come from Keturah, his, uh, his other concubine, or his, she is referred to as a concubine later in scripture, uh, but uh, li likely a wife after uh, Sarah had died. So these are, and then what, is, what does he do with Midian, with Medan, with Ishmael? He gives them gifts, but then he sends them east. These are sons of the east, and being east in Genesis is not a good thing. That's where the exiles go. That's where the ones who are uh, kicked out of the presence of God go. Uh, and this is where, this is who the caravan is. They are these exiled, disinherited sons of the East. And where are they coming from? They're coming from Gilead. And if you remember in Gilead, surprise, surprise, another, another, another Calvary, but in that, what that's teaching us is there's this covenant where Laban Pharaoh devil can't pursue Jacob anymore. There's this barrier. You can't follow me anymore. You can't chase me anymore. You can't harass me anymore. You can't bring your Egypt of Padan, Aram, and Sin, and the devil. You, that is no longer over me, and you can't follow me into this inheritance. That's what happens at Gilead. That's the covenant that's made. And that anticipates our separation from the devil and sin and the torment of Egypt and affliction and all, all of those things. That happens at Gilead. That's where they're coming. That's where they're coming from. And they're coming with balm and they're coming with spices and they're coming with myrrh. And these things are um, ancient uh, medicines and ancient incense or aromas. So they are things for healing and they are things for fragrant aromas, incense. And so pairing this with the Joseph sacrifice, there is this pleasing aroma that he's being paired with here. There is this healing, this balm of Gilead that he is being paired with here. And they're taking him and they're bringing him to the Gentiles, bringing him to the nations, bringing him to Egypt. And I would say bringing these other things with him, this healing, this fragrant uh, incense. All of this is anticipated in um, uh, our epiphany when we, we talk about the manifestation of Christ to the Gentiles. The sons of the East come and they visit Christ and they bring gifts. And one of them is myrrh. And they, and they, they, they bring us things that are similar incense and, and these kinds of uh, medicinal, actually I'm not sure if frankincense is medicinal, I think it's also incense. But the, but the theme is similar. The Gentiles are the ones, the nations are the ones, the disinherited sons are the ones who take the Christ figure into themselves and they bring him down into the nations. They capture him and bring him into the nations. He's taken away from his brothers. And so this is anticipating what Christ uh, uh, the, the Christ who comes and is given to the Gentiles. Okay. What all of this tells us is that disinherited sons will be healed. 
and they will become a pleasant aroma. Because Jesus, who is a type of Joseph, or Joseph, who is a type of Jesus, he dies and he heals and he restores these disinherited sons. Uh, the nations need healing. The nations need to become a pleasant aroma to the Father. The nations are wandering in darkness. And Christ comes and he relieves them of their wandering. He relieves them uh, of uh, this affliction. He brings them water. He gives them bread. He bears them on his shoulder. Our Lord Jesus is the Lord of wanderers. And he appears uh, as the one uh, to bring us home from our wandering, to give us rest from our wandering. So let's pray. Our nation is sick and broken and wounded and wandering. Uh, but when John sees uh, the church in the apocalypse, he sees the tree of life and it has 12 fruits and it has leaves which are for the healing of the nations. Just as the spices and the myrrh and the balm that went down with Joseph into Egypt were these botanical means of healing, so too are the fruits and the leaves on the tree of life. Those fruits, those leaves are the church, which means it is you. They are you. So the charge is this. Find those who are sick and bring them to health. Find those who are broken and make them whole. Find those who are wounded and bring them uh, healing. Find those who are wandering and bring them home. Christ has made you healthy. He has made you whole. He has healed you. He has called you home. So you do the same for your neighbor, for your city, uh, for your nation. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.